video during offering was a, a promo for our upcoming Wednesday night study that Richard mentioned. It's also the details are printed in the back of your bulletin. It's just it's a study for anyone and everyone. There are additional resources available. There's a book. There's a workbook. There's also let's just show up and talk about what the Bible says about the spirit and how we can tap into that power. So we don't want to intimidate anybody with what we're going to study on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock based on if you're too busy or don't feel or don't want to do the work or feel like I can't come. I didn't read the book. Everybody's going to know. That's not it. Uh, What we want to do is provide resources to make us available to grow. Um, wherever you are, there's going to be some things that we're going to come in and talk about, and God's going to change us. He absolutely is. Um, but what we're going to do today, uh, we start a new series. Um, it's, it's called Not a Fan. What we're going to talk about is we're going to take a very honest and a very difficult and real look at our lives and test that through the lens of the Bible. We're going to test that through the lens of Scripture. Now, for some of you who've been around for a while, I found some tapes in my office. I'm not sure how to use those or what those are, but I'm pretty sure I had Dick's handwriting on them, and I think you guys might have studied and gone through this before if you've been around for a while, but I don't care. I mean, I do care, but it's so good. The material that it's talking about is examining, are we really, truly committed to following after Jesus? I brought a prop, and I'm going to use it here for a little bit. If you don't Well, I'm going to. So let's see. I brought my backpack, and I stuffed some things in my backpack. I'm going to kind of dig through it and talk about it. But how the dictionary defines a fan is a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. We root. We put on all the right gear. We want people to know what team that we represent. Um, So I I went through my closet. I didn't grab nearly all of it because I don't have that much time. But I've got a bunch of stuff in here that I've bought through the years. I have no, I, I don't know, 1992, maybe when I bought this. A Penny Hardaway jersey, the USA Dream Team. I wanted everybody to know that I was going to represent as they went to the Olympics to play basketball. I was going to represent um, the Dream Team. Let's see what else. I thought about throwing these after, but I'm, you'd probably burn some of them. So you go. Here's another one that I found. Um, my dad lived in Knoxville for a little while, so I became a University of Tennessee football fan. So. Yeah, I know you love me anyway, and that's fine. I didn't go there. I didn't live in Tennessee. It's just one of those things that kind of happened. But I've got a bunch of these that people have bought for me through the years. So if I was going to a Tennessee game, and I've been to a few, I'm going to put on the, the bright orange, right, so that people know what team that I'm rooting for. What else did I bring? Oh, because of that, well, I've got all kinds of orange stuff at my house. This might be the last orange thing that I pull out. Just another Tennessee shirt. If I didn't feel like wearing a jersey, if I just wanted to wear a shirt, what, a hunter safety vest? Yep. I've got that in there. And that led to something else here. Really, I think what happened here is one of my friends was being cheap Christmas one year. Because of the orange jersey, I was a huge Peyton Manning fan. Still am. So I rooted for the Colts. I'm guessing one year for Christmas, I'm pretty sure my buddy Ben got me this. It's not Peyton Manning, but it was a Colts jersey. Because I wanted the Colts to win because Peyton Manning was on the Colts. Right? And I'm pretty sure they didn't put the Manning jerseys on sale. This jersey went on sale, so my friend um, bought me this one. But it was cool, and I wore it, and I had it for a while. So those are, I saved the, the really important stuff for this other pouch that I have in here. Uh, Jesse and I went to the Braves game on Friday night. We've been to two. Um, both times we went, we got these little bobbleheads. They retired John Smoltz's number or, yeah, for the Braves. Well, they'd already done that. But it was honoring him. It was a John Smoltz bobblehead. And we went on Friday night, and we got this. We went with my dad. We also went, uh, we've only been to two games this year. Both times they were giving out a bobblehead. The other one is Freddie Freeman hugging Johnny Gomes, one of the other guys. That one's pretty neat. It's up in my office. But also, 
Uh, they won both of the games that Jesse and I went to. So if you're going to the Braves game and you have some extra tickets and you want them to win, you, Jesse and I would be glad to accompany you guys um, to the Braves game. You laugh, but let's see. But I, I've got my, my fandom gear in here, right? This is the stuff that we grab. This is the important stuff. This is the non-compromisable stuff, right? Braves. A brave shirt. If I wanted to wear this, I could put my brave shirt on and wear it, and everyone would know I was rooting for them. I was cheering them on. I wanted them to win. In light of the bobblehead, and here's a, a Braves jersey shirt of old Smoltzy. There's no shortage of this baseball apparel that I have. And then I've got the real deal here. Can't fault my friend Ben too much for getting me an Edger and James jersey because he also got me this uh, authentic Braves Tim Hudson jersey as well. So whatever I wanted to do, if I wanted to put this stuff on and let people know who I'm rooting for and that there's beyond a shadow of a doubt, I put on all the gear, right? So that people would, they would not be confused. They wouldn't have to know if I'm yelling or cheering when something good happened for the team that I like, that I'm going to root them on and I'm going to want them to win. But we do that with stuff that we like. We do that with stuff that we love. We do that with things that we're a fan of. Even if you don't like sports, you've got other things that you really like. Maybe you like your kids and you've got bumper stickers on your car of where your kids go to school. Maybe you don't like your kids. So the bumper stickers aren't on your car or where they go to school. But we, we all have things as people that, that we like and that we're going to follow after, that we're going to root them on, that we're going to say that we're a fan of. Uh, most of what many of you would call the gaudy orange stuff that I have up here from the University of Tennessee, uh, people bought me that through the years because they knew that I was a fan. They knew that I liked it. They knew that I wanted to wear that hideous color, as some of you are. Thank you for just holding that. But I've got all sorts of hats in my house that people have bought me through the years. Bright orange hats, I could use them come hunter safety season if I wanted to. But I've got a bunch of hats that people have bought me that I've never worn. Hats for me are very personal. It has to fit my goofy-sized head just right. So if I put a hat on my head and it doesn't fit, I'm just not going to wear it. So I've got a couple hats that I really do like that I bought. I've even bought hats for myself that I never wore because I bought it and I liked it to go and put it on. And I was like, no, nope, that wasn't like my Tennessee camo hat. And then this hat I bought while Jesse and I were in Illinois. I didn't have a Braves hat, and we were going. We were desperate to go to a Braves game. So we went up to Milwaukee one weekend or whenever it was, and we went up and we got, went to a game at Miller Field, Miller, Miller Park, and I didn't have a Braves hat, so I bought one online, and this is what came in. And that was also the first Braves game that Ella ever went to. Jessie was pregnant with Ella at the time, so even very early, we're trying to teach her what is right and what is not. So going to the game, you're going to put on this stuff so that people know what you're going to cheer for. Like I said, the dictionary defines a fan as an en enthusiastic admirer. What I think has become true for many Christians and what I think has become true in the church a lot is that we got a lot of the gear. We got a lot of the stuff. We know what to put on and how to look and what to say and when to cheer and when to show up. But Jesus didn't ask for fans. He didn't ask for completely committed fans to follow after him because really, I don't really care what the athletes say. They'll say what they want to say because we pay their salaries if you watch TV or you go to the games. That they really, The fans really helped us win that. Now, I've never played in front of a crowd, but the fans, we don't have any outcome on the game. When our teams win or lose, what do we do? Well, we say what I just said. We won. We lost. We played really hard. I sat on the couch, and they played really hard. I didn't endure minicamp. I didn't endure practices. I didn't endure learning the playbook and learning a new coach and putting in the sacrifice 
that it takes to perform something at a really high level. But we say that, don't we? That's our language. We won. We lost. We're doing okay. I don't have a lick of influence on the outcome of the Braves game that I went to. Still, invite me and Jesse and I, if you're going to the Braves game, they'll win. Right? But I can't do anything to cause them to win because what do I do when I go to a game? I get out my ticket, and I look at the aisle in the row and the seat number, and I make sure that I'm sitting in the right spot. And what do I do? I sit there, and I watch, and I might yell, and I might cheer, and I may go get some nachos. I will go get some nachos and come back to my seat. But I don't have any influence on what's going on. I'm not getting hit with the ball. Hopefully, we're up really high, so we didn't get hit. Jesus didn't ask for fans. Jesus never once in the Bible asked us to cheer him on from the sidelines as if he needs our encouragement. Really what Jesus has called for us to do as Christians, as we grow and we mature and we become disciples who make disciples, that we're living a life of discipleship, that we want to become completely committed followers. There's no halfway in following Jesus. We're going to examine some stories of people that Jesus interacted with, and you just can't follow him halfway. If you do, you might hear Jesus say what's recorded in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21 says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What we have to do is make sure that we're not cheering Jesus on from the sidelines because I think those are going to be the folks that Jesus says, I never knew you. And what we're going to do with eternity and where we're going to spend that is way too valuable to leave that up to chance or to leave that up to, but I was there and I put on all this stuff and I rooted and I did what I was supposed to and I showed up when you told me to, Jesus. And then maybe he'll just remind us, I told you, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do for ourselves as Christians and as the church to make sure that my life is the best reflection of what Jesus said my life should look like? Well, we want to move from fan to follower. We want to make sure that we're following after Jesus with our life and with everything that we do. Because following Jesus at its very heart, it indicates movement. That there's something that's changing in our life. That we're following after Jesus wherever he goes. That I'm following after Jesus with my life wherever he might lead me. Now, there's nothing wrong with throwing on the gear so that people see but the gear is not important. The gear is secondary. The gear, the uniforms, all that stuff. So people look at me and they know that I'm a Christian. That might help. But what I really have to do is look at my life and examine my life and what I believe, really what I say I believe, and then what I actually go out and I do. So what we're going to do over the next month or two, we're going to ask some really hard questions for us as the church and filter that through the lens of what Jesus said and what's in the Bible, and make sure that I might not unknowingly be a fan of Jesus when he's called me to be a, a follower, doing everything that Jesus has called for me to do and to run after him. What we got to do uh, within a, a relationship or a dating relationship, there's a conversation that, that has to happen along the way. 
Um, I know we referred to it, use the acronym, it was the DTR conversation. It was the define the relationship conversation, right? You're talking to somebody, you like them, you think they like you, you kind of go out or to a movie, but then you're wondering, are they seeing anybody else or do they like me as much as I like them? So at some point in the conversation, whether if it's romantic or even friend, you've got to define that relationship. You've got to figure out, are you in this for the same reasons that I'm in this? Do you really like me or it, you were just bored and you wanted a free dinner? Because, you know, that happens sometimes. So you have to have that conversation with people to define the relationship, to know where we stand. And I think the same thing is true that Jesus wants us to have that conversation with him define the relationship between me and between Jesus? And are we just in this socially or casually or when it's convenient? Or are we going to do the hard things that Jesus told us to do? In fact, there were a bunch of people that Jesus showed up for the free meals that Jesus was putting out, but they weren't really committed to following after him. Jesus wants to know how you feel about him and how we live and how we choose to live is going to be a reflection of what that is. Are we dabbling in other things and just playing Jesus on the weekend, right? Are we doing the things that Jesus has called for us to do when there's a big event, when there's a big game, when the championship's on the line, we say, hey, I need your power for this, but the rest of our life we don't pay any attention and we just pretend. We have to make sure, are we completely committed to following after Jesus? Because he wants us to be, and he's going to help us do that. It can't just be a casual weekend thing that we have with Jesus, and I think he has a lot of fans this, these days. He does. But he was never interested in having a fan, having somebody root him on. Jesus doesn't need our encouragement. He doesn't. What he wants for us is to obey him. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Very clear. We overcomplicate things. We, we absolutely do. I do all the time. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And he told us to go out and make disciples, that we're completely following after Jesus. The problem is when that day of judgment comes, not if, right, when that day comes, from where I stand, I can't help but be pretty confident there's going to be a whole slew of stadiums and stadiums and stadiums full of Jesus fans. And he's going to say, I didn't need any fans. He's going to say, I commanded you to follow me to do whatever I asked you to do, and you didn't. And what we have to do is make sure that we don't end up there. Jesus isn't grading our faith on a curve. What we usually do when it comes to our faith and how we like to, we like to compare to other people, right? But when I'm examining my faith, I don't usually compare my faith to Billy Graham or Charles Swindoll or Andy Stanley or people that I respect. What I do when I compare my maturity when it comes to Christian, I compare it to people that I perceive as being less than me, that not being as mature as I am. So we do that and we say, well, I am not as mature as Billy Graham. I am not as mature as the Apostle Paul, but I'm way better than these guys over here. Have you seen what they've done? So really, we get to feeling okay about ourselves and we think that we're doing okay. You know, I mean, after all, would a fan go to church mostly every weekend? Would a fan put money in the offering plate? Would a fan exclusively listen to Christian radio and take communion and help serve? Of course not. We're not doing this for nothing. But it's not just about the things that we do. It's the condition of our heart. And it's why we're doing those things. And we want to make sure that we're absolutely sure that I, that we, that together as the church, that we're in line doing the things that Jesus is called for us to do. Because I think too often fans confuse admiration for devotion, right? 
committed, following, rooting them on. What happens when life gets hard? What happens when the team is terrible? What happens when a decision is made and you don't like it? Are you just rooting them on or are you there devoted? And sometimes I think we mistake intimacy, we mistake knowledge of Jesus with intimacy with Jesus because there's a difference. It's not just information that we put in our head, but it's that it permeates the distance from my head to my heart and it changes the way that I live. Knowledge about Jesus is not the same thing as having a close, intimate relationship with Jesus as the Lord of your life. And I think far too often what fans of Jesus often do is they assume, or sometimes I assume that my good man, intentions might make up for my apathetic faith sometimes it's not about the best of intentions it's about what we actually do what i want to do is look at a story if you've been around church it's a pretty famous story from john chapter three if you haven't been around church uh, we're going to read it so you'll get to hear this story um god makes his word evident to us and through his holy spirit he explains to us what he's trying to teach us he does so the story of Jesus and this a religious ruler, a na- man by the name of Nicodemus, is found in the book of John, uh, chapter 3. Nicodemus is a fascinating character um, that we come across in the Bible. Uh, let me read uh, some of what happens. John, chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, really the story of Nicodemus moving from really a fan to seeing if he'll really hear what Jesus has to say so that he can become a completely devoted, sold-out follower of the Savior of the world. God tells the story this way in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man had come to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is, Nicodemus is respected among the church folk. Among the church wasn't established there yet, but he he was respected among the religious people. He was looked up to, he had a position of power. 
and he had a position of authority, and people respected the work that he put in, and yet he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. Jesus really seems to be coming, has Nicodemus coming to him, and Nicodemus really comes to Jesus with words of affirmation, right? These are encouraging things. Nicodemus says to Jesus, we know that you have to be something very special because nobody can have these signs that you perform if they really didn't come from God. I've spent the majority of my life, really all of my life in the church, and I've heard a take on the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and I've heard it called Nick at Night. They said that Nicodemus was a religious ruler, and what he did is that he wanted to come to Jesus at night, so he was veiled in darkness, so that none of his other Pharisee buddies would see him because he didn't want that to happen. Well, the bottom line is, John didn't tell us why. Jesus, God, through his word, didn't tell us why Nicodemus came at night. But one of the things that we can know when we study the religious rulers of the first century, when we study the members of the Sanhedrin, of which Nicodemus was a part, it was very common for them to gather together at night to meet together and to study and to talk and to talk about things of God. So really what we have when we examine the story that God gave us in John chapter 3, and we filter that through the lens of what we know about how their society worked, is that Nicodemus isn't sneaking around coming to Jesus because look at his words. He says, I know, I know that you're something special. And he wasn't just trying to sneak around, but he was doing something that was commonly done by Pharisees and by members of the Sanhedrin to come to Jesus. They must not have had the good TV shows that we have on at night, right? We stay home and watch TV or we do stuff in our yard with daylight savings time. We can go out and work in the yard longer. They didn't have these things to do. So they got together at night and they talked about things of substance. And they talked about things that mattered. And they talked about God and they talked about their faith. So what Nicodemus did was not out of character with what his buddies, what he would have done going to a rabbi or to a teacher and talking to him. Jesus responds to Nicodemus and how Nicodemus um, really says, he says, you say something that's true. He says, you're right. For me to paraphrase Jesus' response to Nicodemus. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And Nicodemus is confused and he can't understand. And Jesus' response isn't really too uh, gentle. He says, you're a teacher. You're a teacher of the law and you can't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Nicodemus says, how can a man possibly be born again? And Jesus says, it's not physical birth because everyone is born physically. Everyone who is living was born physically, but not everyone is born again spiritually. Not everyone experiences that second birth, that rebirth as a new creation through the waters of baptism and giving their life over to Jesus. But the way that the Bible pictures it is that our life really doesn't start until that happens. That we give everything over to Jesus. And this is this truth that Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus. He says, you know all the rules, you know all the things you're supposed to do, but I'll tell you, you're missing something. And Jesus, like he always does, he goes on to explain it to Nicodemus. And God, what he does in his provision, he puts this story in our Bible so that we can read it, so that we can know it, that we can have it read to us, and we can know, well, what do we have to do? Well, we have to be born again if we want to be a part of the kingdom of God. You know, good or bad, we're stuck with our families that we have, our biological families, our adoptive families, whatever your family looks like, we're stuck with them. By and large, we didn't get to choose that. But one of the things that we do get to choose is if we're going to be a part of the family of God. 
God has already chosen you to be a part. He has. What it comes to you and when it comes to me, what we have to do is I have to decide for myself. No one else can do it for me. I have to decide for myself, am I going to accept the invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be born again spiritually, to start my life anew as a new creation, washed clean by the blood of Jesus? And not everyone does. And that's that truth that Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus. And he explains it this way. He says, I am God, and I come from heaven, so I can explain the things of God. I can tell you how these things work, and Jesus doesn't have to have any questions. And then it goes on, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. I know I stopped right before 16. Some of y'all might have been itching. Just, just, just read it, Joel. Just read that one. It's so good. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. God didn't send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, to give the life of Jesus as a ransom for many. The message of Christ is for anyone and everyone who will come to hear it and to be obedient and to have their heart softened when they hear the truth that comes from God's word, when they feel that Holy Spirit moving and convicting them that they just feel different. The book of John is filled with these beautiful different pictures and these contrasts of light in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. We're to share our light with a world that is dark, that doesn't have the message. Jesus also has these seven different signs that he performs or he says about himself throughout the gospel of John. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He says, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the vine. I am the gate and the door. He says, these are all of the things that I am And you can't be a part of the family of God without him, without Jesus. He says, I'm the one and only son of God and the only way to him. He's the light of the world. But what we see is true in our lives. What you've seen is true in your family. What you've seen is true in the world is that some people, they hear, they see that flash of brilliance, and they choose to remain in darkness. Now, yeah, it's true. There's a bunch of people in the world that haven't heard about Jesus yet. But there are so many in our culture especially, and there still are some that don't know of Jesus. They don't truly know what Christianity is about. And guess what? That's your job. That's my job. That's all of our job to tell others about the true gospel and the message of Jesus. That we as believers, as Christians, we're to be a light into a world so that people look at us, that we can beat back the gates of the enemy that the darkness will be overcome by the light that's displayed through my life that we're not ashamed we're not afraid for our actions to be seen but we want people to know it's not about me but it's about jesus and it's about i want to be his ambassador and i want to represent christ in everything that i do a little bit later in the gospel of john in chapter seven Uh, Jesus is before some more religious leaders, and we have Nicodemus pop up again. What I find is interesting in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Jesus teaches Nicodemus, and then he just kind of disappears. doesn't really tell us what happens. But again, in chapter 7 in the Gospel of John, you can go back and read the whole thing later if you like. You can read it now if you want. I will never stop you from reading the Bible. What happens in John chapter 7 is that these leaders are coming to Jesus, and they're questioning him. And they're they're the enemies of Jesus, and they're trying to fight against him. Many of the people that knew about Jesus were split. Some believed and some wanted Jesus thrown in prison. But even those that were against Jesus were afraid to have him thrown in prison because they were afraid of the crowds. 
and the religious leaders didn't like the crowds. They said, well, the crowds, they're not smart enough to figure out what God really meant and so that we have to tell them what God really meant. Well, guess what? Praise God that we don't have to do that anymore. We have the ability to have God's word before us, to have it read to us, to read it ourselves, that we can come before God and read his word and know what it says. Really, the Pharisees and the chief priests said, well, we can't trust the crowds. We've never heard anyone speak the way that Jesus has spoken before, and he speaks differently. He speaks as someone who has authority. Jesus' enemies were trying to convince people that you don't listen to him. He's phony. He's not true. They're trying to discredit Jesus with everything that they could. They even went, the Pharisees even went so far to say is that there had been a curse put on the people that were believing Jesus to try to trick or try to keep more people from putting their faith in Jesus. And then one of their own, again, Nicodemus, came in and he said, he said, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They were making all of these false accusations against Jesus. And Nicodemus spoke up in the light of day. He spoke up in front of his peers. He spoke up when it could have cost him his position in society. And he said, we're not treating Jesus as fairly as we treat everybody else. Don't we, aren't we going to give him a chance to talk about what he really believes? And then later on, uh, Nicodemus pops up again in Jesus' story. In the Gospel of John, chapter 19, after Jesus is killed and Joseph comes and he gets the body of Jesus and he buries it in the tomb, who, none other than Nicodemus, shows up with the spices to properly prepare Jesus' body for his resting place. To make sure that Jesus had a proper burial, that Nicodemus respected Jesus so much that he said, this is the very least that I can do for this man who taught me about light when I was living in a life of darkness. What I think that we see connecting the dots between the story of Nicodemus from John 3 and 7 and 19 is that we see Nicodemus going from a fan of Jesus because that's how I read John chapter 3 saying you truly are special to John chapter 7 where he stands up before his peers and he says this is going to cost me something but I don't care because it's worth it and we've got to treat Jesus fairly. And then again after Jesus is killed he's weeping. Because Jesus is dead. And he said, I don't care who sees. I'm going to go with Joseph. And I'm going to make sure that Jesus' body is properly taken care of. I can just imagine when Nicodemus' life on this earth ended and he got to see Jesus again face to face. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord. No, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were there, you protected, you spoke up for me, you shined the light of the truth of Jesus into a world that needed to hear it. Nicodemus was faithful to the teachings of Christ, and he was given a new life. He was born again. Everyone living on earth has experienced physical life, but not everyone yet has experienced that new spiritual birth. That is our job. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That is the integral part of what we're going to do as the church here at Cross Plains Christian Church to take the command of Jesus seriously that he said, go into the world and make disciples. Well, how did Jesus make disciples? He shared the truth with them. And he said, you got to be born again spiritually. <laughs> That's our job that we get to tell people that. You want to live forever? Awesome. I can tell you how to do that. Not in this life, not in this body, but forever. 
and the presence of God, we can share with people what that is, being born again, being part of the family of God. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, the question you have to ask yourself is this, have you merely made a decision for Jesus? Or are you committed to following after Jesus? It might sound like a preacher mincing words, splitting hairs, right? But there shouldn't be a difference, but there is. You know it, and I know it. We all know it. There is a difference between making a decision to follow after Jesus at one point in my life and then doing whatever in the world I want for the rest of my life. Coming back to Jesus when it's convenient, when I feel like I need him, there's a difference between making a decision for Jesus and being completely sold out to following Jesus and everything that we're going to do. Following Jesus requires movement. Jesus told us, and we can read about it in Scripture, he said, believe in me. He told us that. He did. It's important for us to believe in Jesus. We have to know who he is and believe in him and trust him. But five times more often in our Bibles, what we have Jesus saying is not just believe, but he says follow. Belief and following after Jesus, it's the heart and lungs of our faith. It is. My belief and me following after Jesus, it's the heart and lungs of my faith. If you take one of them away, I will die spiritually. You have to have them both together so that we can do all of the things that Jesus has called for us to do, that we get to do. Because if we separate the heart and lungs from our bodies, what happens? Our life ends. If we separate the heart and lungs of our spiritual bodies, they both die off. They're useless. So yeah, we have to make the decision. But we also, in my life as a Christian, I have to be completely committed to following him. Following Jesus isn't something we can do at night or when it's convenient or when we feel like we have that need. It's a 24-hour uh, commitment every day, twice on Sunday, right? It's, it's, it's a commitment to following Jesus. Everything that you have, absolutely everything that you have. And guess what? Jesus is going to interfere with your life. That's not a maybe. That's a guarantee. Jesus in his spirit, he's going to interfere with your life. And he's going to, from the world's perspective and maybe from our perspective sometimes, he's going to mess it up. Not, he's not going to do anything wrong, but how I view my life and how my life's supposed to unfold and my life's supposed to be easy. and You can't line up with what the scripture says anyway. You just can't. It's not there. It's one of the lies that's made its way into the church and our culture. It's a guarantee. It's not in the small print. Jesus is going to interfere with your life. But if we have a God who loves us and cares for us and created us and gave us everything, man, I want him to interfere with my life. I want him to shake me when I need it. I want him to comfort me when I need that comfort. Let me be clear. Maybe you haven't heard Christianity talked about this way before. Let me be clear on a couple things. There is no forgiveness without repentance. The Bible is very clear on that. There is no forgiveness without repentance. There's not. There's no salvation without surrender. The salvation does not come in my life. I'm not truly a part of the kingdom of God if I don't surrender my life. Jesus says, if one wants to follow after me, he must she must take up their cross daily and follow me. There is no salvation without surrender. There is no life without death. Dying to ourself is the picture that the Bible paints of it and being born new, a new creation in Christ. And there is no believing in Jesus without committing. 
have to commit. When most others had abandoned Jesus, what we see is Nicodemus is right there. Weeping, honoring, paying his respects, doesn't care what happens. He knows that he's doing the right thing. He's no longer just a fan. He's no longer just cheering Jesus on. Yeah, that's a really good teaching, but don't apply it to my life. He is there, and he is completely sold out to the message of Jesus. He's not an enthusiastic admirer. He's not a fan. He's not just throwing on the jersey going, yay. You turn in the channel when your team's awful. It's completely sold out and following after Jesus. Your question to ask yourself, whether you've been in church forever or never until today, and I can't answer it for you. So, am I a fan? Just put on all this stuff when I want to, when it fits, when it's comfortable. Or is my life, am I truly following Jesus? If that doesn't challenge you, uh, you're not listening. Not to me. <laughs> to what God has told us. Let's pray. Father, always, when we come together, may May you be honored and glorified. God, when we talk, when I talk about your word, God, just allow me to speak what is true. And Father, if and when I mess up, teach me and correct me. And God, help me to grow in my faith. God, I pray for all the people here. God, I pray that we look at our life seriously as Christians, that we're not just rooting Jesus on from the sidelines because that's not a picture of what Jesus called ever. But he wants us... He wants to be involved in our life. He wants us involved in his mission, and his mission is the church, and we are the church, God, and you've given us a task. God, how great it is that you would use broken people like us to share the love of Jesus with a world that's filled with darkness. Father, I pray as we continue to study from your word, and we look at these encounters that Jesus has with people this fall, God, that you will pierce our hearts and you will encourage us, God, and you'll strengthen us and you'll also show us those weak spots in our faith, God, and you'll move in supernatural ways through your Holy Spirit in our life that we grow and we mature and God, we are better Christians. God, we're more like Jesus at Christmas than we are right now. God, teach us. Help us to grow. Father, thank you so much for your grace. God, thank you for these people that chose to give up whatever else they could have done to come together to worship you as the church. God, we love you, and we give you all the praise and the glory. In Christ's name, amen.